Welcome to the official show here on the Fish Stripes Podcast, first pod episode of 2021. It's Eli Sussman here, managing editor of Fish Stripes. Let me be the one millionth person and hopefully the last person to wish you a happy new year entering 2021. Thank you for subscribing. Hopefully you've subscribed, but thank you for listening wherever you are listening to this pod. We have big plans for this pod network in the new year. Uh, I, I shouldn't say plans because... Everything seems to be very fluid with the way that Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball and everything else is organizing for the new year. But we have big aspirations in terms of churning out a lot of content and very high-quality content, fascinating interview topics and other conversations that we'll be getting into. This episode is going to have an interview. Most of this episode is my one-on-one talk with Ben Whitkins, who is the co-organizer of the Save Snappy Petition. He is a Beloit Snappers fan. And the Beloit Snappers are about to become a minor league affiliate of the Miami Marlins, their new high A affiliate, potentially for the next 10 years or more. So we're going to talk all things Beloit with Ben Wickens because I've never been to Beloit. I'm sure 99% of you haven't been there yet either. So his context and perspective on that is going to be very valuable, and that's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. Before that, just wanted to touch on a handful of recent news items that we've addressed on the website on fishstripes.com as well as on social media. So uh, I'm assuming you guys are familiar with us over there and have already gotten some of my takes on them so far. But just to give a roundup, the Marlins finally announced their first round of non-roster invitees to spring training. Traditionally, that announcement comes right around the winter meetings, like a full three or four weeks prior to when it did before the new year. Uh, we finally got the first seven of them, which is also a slightly smaller wave than you usually get from teams during that uh, period. Uh, first of all, they confirmed four that were already pretty well known that have already been agreed upon far in advance, but they finally acknowledged the signings of four pitchers, Anthony Bender, Alexander Guillen, Luis Madero, and Zach Thompson. Uh, yeah, we've taken note of all those guys. None of them have any major league experience. I think... Three of the four don't even have experience above the double A level, meaning that I'm assuming we're heading into this year as them as extreme long shots to make the opening day roster and probably long shots to have any substantial time in the majors this year. But um, all of them are still relatively young, and a couple of them have especially filthy stuff. Alexander Guillen, the right-hander, is one that really jumps out. Out of these four, probably Guillen is the one that has the best chance of being somebody for the Marlins in 2021. And the other three, a couple familiar faces, Brian Navarreto and Eddie Alvarez, both of them made their major league debuts during the shortened 2020 season. With Navarreto, he is the, at this moment, he's going to be the fourth catcher on the depth chart. The other catcher, also signing a new one for the Marlins, but a familiar name to many of you is Sandy Leone, who has had considerable amount of major league time with the Red Sox and with the Nationals, uh, a switch-hitting catcher who was on that World Series team with the Red Sox in 2018. Uh, Leon will be turning 32 years old during spring training, and I found it curious that it's the exact same contract that Brian Holiday got two years ago. That should pretty much put it into context what Leon is. He is not going to give you much with the bat. He's had a couple of blips in his career where he has caught fire at the plate, especially in 2016 with the Red Sox. I remember experiencing that live and how odd it was that for an extended run, he had his OPS over 1,000 and was one of the more like dangerous hitters in all of baseball for just that brief stint. Sandy Leon jumped all over it. The Red Sox lead it three to nothing. Home runs again. Sandy belting number three into the Triple A side. But since then, has come back down to earth. Someone that is more going to be sixty to seventy percent of the league average, but his pitch framing is consistently very good. And the pitchers that have worked with him really rave about the way that he manages his staff, the way that he calls a game. 
very similar to to Holiday a couple of years ago, where if he, he makes the major league team right out of spring training, base salary will be $1.25 million with some incentives attainable based on playing time after that. And for the moment, though, he is behind on the depth chart, behind uh, Jorge Alfaro, and probably behind Chad Wallach as well, because even though Wallach has his own limitations, we saw how much the Marlins trusted him down the stretch last year. And of course, they have more familiarity with Wallach, uh, being that he's been the organization the past couple of years. So we have those guys on the minor league side. On the major league side, Ross Detweiler is the first and so far only major league signing that the Marlins have made. A guaranteed salary of $850,000, according to Craig Mish, with 100 k in potential bonuses that he can earn. A really underwhelming pitcher that, believe it or not, was highly regarded coming out of college. Sixth overall pick in the first round of the Washington Nationals way back in 2007. Uh, and th- to some extent, he's had a good career in that he's still pitching in the majors. He spent a bunch of years with the Nationals. Uh, that one standout year, 2012, the team, first team that they had that made the playoffs that year, pitching 164 in the third innings, 340 ERA that year with a 4.04 FIP. But since then, that has proved to be the anomaly. That is the only year where he's come anywhere close to being a full-time major league starter. Uh, most recently started in 2019 with the White Sox, and it was a disaster First career, a 4.56 ERA, a 4.61 FIP, a high 1.47 WHIP, uh, but he's been able to be serviceable despite all the base runners because he's generally been able to keep the ball in the ballpark. The only exception to that being in 2019 with the White Sox. So on one hand, 2012 is an anomaly and so distant in the past that uh, he's simply a different man at this stage of in his career. Uh, and at the same time, 2019 also seems to be somewhat of an outlier on the other end, where he wasn't really a playable major league player in 2019, but he did have a nice bounce back in 2020. Uh, at this stage of his career, he is a soft-tossing left-hander, pretty stereotypical, but the White Sox moved him to the bullpen in 2020, and he re- rediscovered like a slider in his repertoire that he wasn't using much at all in 2019. And thanks to that and a variety of other factors, uh, he did fine during the shortened season. A 320 ERA, a 390 FIP, uh, a below average strikeout rate, only allowed two home runs in 19 and two-thirds innings. Still throwing very soft. He's, he's not a guy that's going to get much above the low 90s with his fastball. But being in a relief role, I mean, it's a, putting him in a position where he doesn't have to do too much. Uh, the Marlins bullpen the past several years has been a catastrophe at times. It, they've had their moments, but especially um, during the chunk, the middle chunk of that 2020 season, the Marlins were desperate to find any answers. Uh, the curious decision they made here is signing Detweiler, but also designating Stephen Tarpley for assignment, essentially making Detweiler the replacement for Tarpley. Rather than just adding depth, they booted out Tarpley, who just a year ago they gave up prospect James Nelson to in a trade with the Yankees so they gave up something to get Tarpley he didn't pitch much in 2020 and he finished the season on a pretty ugly note missed some time with injury along the way but he had several years of control remaining I think anybody would agree he is better raw stuff than Detweiler has he also has a fastball also has a slider and gets more movement velo spin you name it on his stuff just better stuff younger minor league options cheaper yet they made this kind of curious decision to bring in Detweiler. Then we have the outfield rumors. We have reports from Mish and also from Mark Feinsand of MLB.com linking the Marlins to Adam Duvall and Yasiel Puig. So two outfielders that you're very familiar with. Duvall terrorized the Marlins last year in head-to-head play as a member of the Braves. Way back in the day, he was an all-star with the Reds. Uh, comparing the two, it's kind of interesting. Um, they have a lot in common if you just look at the last four or five seasons combined. Puig obviously missed the most recent season, whereas uh, Duvall most recently looks like a little bit of an outlier in terms of how many of his balls actually went over the wall. He's a guy that has good power, but the fact that he was, I believe, top 10 in the National League last year in home runs with 16 home runs last year, despite not being a true full-time starter, is pretty impressive, probably unsustainable, and 
it's going to be curious to see what exactly the Marlins do with the outfield because I've talked about this a lot on Twitter. But we'll have, this will be a longer conversation outside of this podcast episode, but Marlins have so many young potential outfielders in the higher levels of their minor league system and others that are just past their rookie eligibility, and yet being connected to these players showed that they have a lack of trust in those young outfielders and want to instead bring in someone to handle what would be the lion's share of playing time in right field and potentially pick up some designated hitter playing time if it comes to that. Uh, But Puig and Duvall are the two specific names that they've been connected to. Puig being two years younger, but also coming off a year where he didn't play in the majors. And prior to that, uh, his production had dipped a little bit from where it was during his prime, relatively early prime of his career. Both of them would be, I believe, candidates for just a one-year deal. Some interesting context, Robbie Grossman just signed a deal with the Tigers. Two years, $10 million guaranteed with an extra million dollars that he can earn in incentives from the Tigers. And I'm sure that to most of us, I mean, you would hold Duvall and Puig in the same regard as Grossman or even higher regard. Grossman did some things that seem a lot more sustainable in terms of how he was getting on base, how he's improved as a defender, uh, whereas with Duvall, he's consistently had issues getting on base throughout his career, even when he's been at his best, even this past season. With Puig, as I said, been in decline a little bit, has this reputation of being difficult on the clubhouse, and with Puig, even though the Marlins made an offer to him last year, he voiced a very specific complaint that he preferred not to be in a community that is so heavily Cuban. It's between those guys, No, there's no safe bet. Uh, unless the Marlins are willing to spend a little bit more money. I mean, my preferred outfield targets for them, if they are really serious about upgrading in the outfield and adding a consistent bat to play in right and potentially to platoon in left for Dickerson if Dickerson doesn't bounce back. Uh, I mean, my favorites have been Jock Peterson and Eddie Rosario. I think those two are specifically better, more valuable. They're going to be more valuable and they're at a stage of their careers and they have certain skill sets that you can more reliably project moving forward. But I imagine especially Peterson is going to require a multi-year deal. There's going to be a handful of teams involved for both of them. So unless the Marlins are willing to step up in the payroll department, as things currently stand, they're going to be bottom three in projected payroll heading into 2021. Really not even up to $60 million in money committed to this point between guaranteed salaries, arbitration eligibles, other controllable players that you would think they have some room to add with this new TV deal going into effect soon and with an expectation that uh, being in Florida with the, with the way that state government has handled the pandemic, that the Marlins are probably more likely than some other teams to actually have in-person attendance and revenue at the start of next season. And of course, coming off of the first postseason appearance in a long time, you want to sustain that momentum and give fans reason to expect even more this year you want to try a little bit but i've touched on these subjects before with that we are going to transition to our interview with ben whitkins beloit native uh, beloit snappers super fan co-organizer of a save snappy petition he's going to bring a great perspective about this team that has been around for close to four decades and at least for the next one decade, is poised to be a Marlins minor league affiliate. Enjoy. It's the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast. Eli Sussman here to welcome in a special guest. The Beloit Snappers are soon to be the high A affiliate of the Miami Marlins, expected to sign their MLB professional development license in the coming weeks that will officially mark the beginning of a 10-year partnership. So to help familiarize us with the team, its history, and several key changes on the horizon, I'm joined by Ben Whitkins. Ben is the co-organizer for the Save Snappy Petition, which we'll be diving into shortly. He's also a Beloit, Wisconsin native, a passionate Beloit Snappers fan, and for a very brief time, he wore the Snappy mascot costume himself. So I know he has an incredible perspective 
on all things about what this team is and what it means now that they're going to be affiliated with Miami Marlins. So thank you for coming on the show, Ben. I hope your new year is off to a great start. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope your, your year is off to a great start as well. So as I told you before we started recording, we need to go through the very basics about what Beloit is, about where it is. I mean, we're in 2021 where people can obviously Google Beloit, Wisconsin in, in a second and find out where on the map it is. But we want to like understand what the city is like, what we're, knowing that you were born and raised down there um, and that Marlins players are going to be spending their summers down there. Just about every Marlins prospect is going to be passing through Beloit at some point. And hopefully Marlins fans are going to be visiting to see games at the ballpark and understand what the community is. Uh, I mean, you're the best person to ask, what is it about Beloit that, uh, that you love growing up? What makes it unique from other communities? Yeah. So uh, great question. Um, Beloit is a, is a wonderful town of about approximately 37,000 people. Uh, and it's right on the Wisconsin and Illinois border, like literally on the border. So, um, and that's exactly where the stadium is going to be. So um, it's a, it's a racially diverse town. It's a town that experienced some trouble with, with industry leaving around the turn of the century. Um, but over the last several years, um, it's really undergoing this incredible revitalization, um, uh, like sushi restaurants and, you know, high-end burger places and uh, industry is moving in. It's becoming like this tech hub. It's just, uh, there's a there's a, an international film festival, believe it or not. There's just, um, don't sleep on Beloit. It's really, uh, it's really kind of a cool city. And if you ever want to make the trip out, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with all the fun things there are to do there. And, uh, my understanding from following along what you've been doing with the River Rockers, and we'll be getting into that shortly, is that yeah, I mean, that the, the team has been a part of your life for almost all of your life. Uh, could you tell us growing up, I know uh, way back in the day was affiliated with the Brewers and since then the Twins and the A's, but when did your connection with the team start? Um, I mean, how, how old were you when you started <laughs> attending games? Who are some of the players that you remember passing through? I think players that went on to be major league stars or just players that were uh, special down there in Beloit and mm -hmm. stick out to you in your memory? Yeah, so uh, I grew up uh, attending Beloit Snap, Beloit Brewers games. And uh, eventually they became the Beloit Snappers in 1995. Um, uh, and it, you're always attending at a, at a very small community field. Um, uh, Pullman field was, was what it was called. And uh, very, very, um, uh, uh, not an extravagant or a really uh, amazing stadium by any stretch of the imagination, but, but a really great community stadium. And uh, my brother, uh, who I, who is also uh, on, on our, on our small team of people working on this boy river rockers uh, movement, he uh, started working there running the scoreboard. So as a, as a younger brother, I thought that was the coolest job in the world. And uh, I was also inspired to eventually work at work for the team when um, I became a teenager. And that was basically my summer job throughout high school. I sold dipping dots in the concession stand and I was snappy, the turtle himself. I was the mascot, as you mentioned, and um, just, uh, just had you know, a ton of great memories at the stadium. I'd say my favorite all-time Beloit snapper would easily be Prince Fielder. Uh, he, he came through there and uh, he was on the two, their 2003 squad. And it was just an, an awesome squad of Prince Fielder, Ricky Weeks and Tony Gwynn Jr. And um, I was just a huge, huge Milwaukee Brewers fan at that time. So it was like, it was like heaven on earth to, be, be, uh, to see that up close and personal. Right. And I guess in total, the affiliation started way back in 1982. Right. Uh, so almost 40, 40 years of history with the city. And I, I mean, obviously this year, so much has been uprooted. All the plans that people thought they had when it came to minor league baseball have been shaken up by the pandemic, COVID-19. Um, but even before like the pandemic was even on, even something that entered people's minds, we I think people that followed minor league baseball closely, either of course in Beloit, but even myself and anybody that uh, covers prospects pretty consistently knew that a restructuring was on its way or the way all of minor league baseball 
was headed and of this consistent desire by MLB to reduce the number of teams uh, flatly just uh, in order to save money in certain ways, in order to upgrade facilities. I mean, a lot of motivations that went into it, but considering where Beloit is, um, just uh, how, I guess, far removed it is from conventional huge population centers um, and at what po- how much concern was there among people in Beloit about with the end of this professional baseball agreement last year about co- losing the team? I mean, the fact that it had been in yeah. the community for so long and we just saw with Marlins affiliate uh, in the Midwest league for one year, they were with the Clinton lumber Kings and the lumber Kings um, as many, unfortunately predicted, they got phased out right. and weren't part of this restructuring. Uh, I mean, how much concern was there in Beloit when, this big decision was coming and just uh, what did they try to do in order to save the team? Right. So this, this ties into our, our new owner, Quince, or our, our, excuse me, the team's first ever owner, Quint Studer. And this is where his, his involvement really comes into play and why as a community, we're so incredibly appreciative, uh, appreciative of him. Um, Because quite frankly, Boyd in baseball for all intents and purposes was dead. As I kind of alluded to earlier, Pullman Field was a very, um, it wasn't a great stadium. I mean, there's really no, no way to, to say it. It was, didn't have like great amenities. It was old. It was outdated. Um, and it, it just absolutely would have been on the chop, chopping block, just like, unfortunately, Clinton was. Um, however, Quinn Studer stepped in along with Diane Hendricks, um, another extreme actually the the richest self-made woman in the united states i believe uh just an incredibly you know it was a it was a it was a great union those two coming together and what they did was they invested in this new stadium downtown which is going to be state-of-the-art um, abc supply stadium it's, it's called and what they did was they built that stadium to a T by MLB's specifications. So MLB was like, you know, MLB wants good facilities. They want good locker rooms. They have lots of things that they, that they really care about. So what Diane Hendricks and Quinn Stewart did was they bought, they built the stadium absolutely up to MLB specifications. So it wasn't necessarily a surprise um, because, you know, MLB would probably, you know, they'd be kind of crazy to not, uh, you know, go forward, given the fact that they, you know, that they built this state-of-the-art stadium. Right. And I guess you're being pretty uh, blunt about Pullman Fields and some of its <laughs> limitations, but uh, I've seen the mock-ups of the new replacement, ABC Supply Stadium. Uh, they also have that live camera set up to actually monitor the construction progress going on with that. Uh, you can see from looking at minor league baseball records that attendance at Pullman had been slipping the past few years, even based on where it was uh, earlier in the 2000s. I mean, the last five years averaging about a thousand fans per game, which even by Midwest league standards was, was pretty low. Um, I was just wondering if you could be more specific about what you thought the limitations of the fields was and what what do you think, how are those going to be addressed in the new stadium, just based on what you've seen? Because Mm -hmm. I guess that's the, yeah, what I'm wondering is when you see that low attendance, at least on paper, that games had in Beloit in recent years, uh, do you think that's going to be fixed pretty immediately by the new stadium or are there other factors in play? I do. I think that just the new energy of the state-of-the-art stadium and it also being right in the heart of downtown, I think that alone is going to really increase uh, attendance. Uh, so I'm really, really excited about that. Uh, Pullman Field, as I have alluded to now several times, it the, the product got stale. Uh, it, it was kind of a hard to get to stadium in the middle of a residential neighborhood. Uh, now with ABC supply statements can be right in the heart of downtown. You get drinks, you get dinner with your family and friends and you meander over to the stadium. It's going to be a totally new environment uh, with a lot of new, new energy and life infused to it. Uh, thanks to Quinn Studer and you know the Miami Marlins. I think Beloit's can be the epic center of the Midwest. I think Beloit's going to be that next great city. Just people like diversity today. They don't want to go to a homogeneous type city. They want diversity. They want grit. We want to create something magical here that people from all over come with. You say, hey, we got to get down to Beloit. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With this construction of the new stadium, Quint Studer has come up with this idea to use this opportunity to rebrand the Beloit Snappers for the first time in, as you said, 25 years. Uh, And I know that's been an issue that you've been really focused on and have come up with some great alternatives too. And uh, I, I mean, based on my understanding, of course, as I said, the pandemic has shifted things out of focus, but it seems that they're on a trajectory that the stadium could be done later this year, but potentially not in time for opening day, where it would be a situation where they transition during the season. Oh, um, yeah, I suppose that stuff is still a little bit up in the air, but uh, whenever they yeah. make that transition, um, planning to uh, rebrand and I mean, at least from what Quint Studer has been saying is, is there any particular reason why they're so committed on rebranding and, and changing? Uh, is, do you think it's just mainly focused on the revenue boost that comes with new merchandise and a new logo and all that? Or is, is there any particular desire that's, from the community to actually change? <laughs> that's a great question. Um, the messaging from the ownership is that merchandise sales is, an in, is a critical revenue stream to a successful minor league operation, which makes total sense. And the Beloit Snappers merchandise sales were very poor. So naturally, uh, they believe that a rebrand will improve that. So that's, that's, the, that's the mindset that they're, that they're going forward with. And, and Quinn Studer has actually been successful rebranding a minor league team in the past, as he has done with the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. So he's, he has that as, uh, in, his, in his back pocket is really relevant experience that he's bringing forward here. However, when they, so what they did was when they announced that they were gonna rebrand the team, uh, they worked with a San Diego-based marketing company and they conducted this uh, contest, basically. They, they called it a fan vote. And then at the end of that, they uh, announced five finalists that they were choosing from. And the five finalist names were the Cheese Balls, Moo, Polka Pike, Sky Carp, and Supper Clubbers. So um, there was instantly a huge revolt uh, in the community because the names felt off. And the reason why they were off is because you, I'm sure you don't know this, but I'm, I'm going to mention it. Um, Beloit uh, has a really, really uh, deep relationship with, with turtles. There's uh, these turtle burial mounds uh, that are on the Beloit College campus right now. And that really shaped the whole community. The town used to be called uh, Turtle Village. And uh, it, th- these mounds uh, were the inspiration for the Beloit College logo. The team plays at the confluence of Turtle Creek and the Rock River. Uh, there's Turtle Creek Bookstore right by the stadium. Turtle Tap, a nearby bar, uh, the Turtle Township. I mean, the town is turtle obsessed. So when you uh, kind of completely uh, take that out of the equation, and and not only do you kind of take the turtles out of the equation in a real in a meaningful way, you give us these really kind of lazy Wisconsin cliches. Um, Moo, for example, you know, like. I've never milked a cow. I've never shoveled manure, but it almost feels like that's what the San Diego marketing company thinks we all do in Wisconsin. Uh, same with polka. It's like uh, an outdated European music, you know, genre that uh, doesn't really resonate. Um, sky carp sounds like sky crap, uh, or it easily could. Uh, so it, it just, it, it just, it, it felt off. And that was the inspiration for us starting a petition, which uh, really quickly got thousands and thousands of signatures. And um, that ultimately led us 
down the road to uh, coming up with the compromise of the river rockers. That's right. And that's kind of how you drew my attention in the first place is this compromise you came up with uh, in, I guess, in your own words from the petition, as much as fans have always loved our badass turtle logo, we think most would probably agree that after 25 years, it was probably due for a modern update. And yeah. uh, here we have the river rockers where <laughs> in the middle of all of it, you have snappy, you have that turtle mascot. And uh, I mean, for people watching on our YouTube channel, the, they can see all this. And if you're visiting this on fishtraps.com, they can see some of the artwork that you and I guess some of your friends have put together a really honestly professional level actually renditions of what this rebrand would look like, where it still involves Snaffy and right here, integrating those other names that the, the firm has suggested, getting them involved in this animal bands, this mascot right. bands. And uh, I mean, there's kind of detail that you put into this is just incredible. These little bios that you put together for the band members for Sky Carp and Mr. Cheeseball, Polka Pike, Bruce here and Snappy. I mean, because what, what this movement is about is about compromise because we want the same things as the team. We want the team to be successful. So we're trying to meet in the middle, you know? So it's like, can we save Snappy? Can we incorporate the names you've proposed? Can we come up with some sort of grand solution here that satisfies the fans by keeping Snappy, but also gives the ownership a lot of new merchandise opportunities. So that's really the, the, the goal. And in addition, I don't think it can be understated that rock river rockers play in rock County uh, along the rock river. So it's just, it all kind of works together. It certainly does. I mean, this, this part got me best of all these, these signatures, these rock star signatures <laughs> for each of the characters. Yeah, this was great. We had a, a, a supporter email these to us. So he was, uh, he, he came up with uh, the, the snappy one. Uh, which we, which he called the snappy graph. And then I said, Hey, these are great. Can you do the rest? And, and he didn't disappoint. So uh, really fun. And it just shows we're, we're a community thing and we're, we're taking suggestions from the, from the community and, and, and all that. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, and an alternate logo for the team using a guitar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this was I, I, I leveraged some graphic designer friends of mine to help out. And uh, it's it's been a real, real collaborative effort. Yeah, logo, putting these mock logos on a hat. And of course, nothing's complete without the uniforms themselves. <laughs> alternate yeah. uniforms as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we did it all. We got home whites, alternates, uh, all sorts of fun things. Yeah, I mean, the level of detail is uh yeah it's it's pretty incredible on all that um and, <laughs> i'm glad you think so yeah and i think the marlins players would appreciate it as well um because of course the miami marlins themselves they rebranded just uh, a couple of years ago and not um i mean the name of the team has stayed the same since 2012 but when in the first full year after jeter took over entering the 2019 season they switched up their color scheme mm -hmm. um feeling that the initial one I guess there's some parallels to be drawn between the Marlins and Beloit because when the Marlins shifted from Florida to Miami, uh, entering 2012, entering their new ballpark uh, after playing in that football stadium for the first couple yeah. of decades of their existence, <laughs> uh, the rebranding that they did was, um, it was, un <laughs> I'm trying to be polite. I guess at the <laughs> time people didn't, there wasn't as much of an outcry, but very soon into its existence, it just felt so tacky and so lacking in authenticity because what they did is they leaned into the fact that Miami is a very colorful place, a very exotic place. And uh, their solution to that, the, the way that they wanted to convey that uh, in the brand was just piling as many different colors into the brand scheme as possible. I think at one point they had five actual colors within their official brand scheme and the way it blends together, it just, I mean, it didn't work on the field. I guess that's always the big thing at the major league level where competitiveness is so important that on the field, when the team was losing, uh, people start nitpicking about everything, but it just, it wasn't authentic to what Miami was. Uh, of course, uh, as people listening to this know, uh, the team was being run by Jeffrey Loria and his stepson, who did not have any sort of 
real roots in Miami. They were both from New York, original New York. And actually, I believe his stepson, David Sampson, was from Wisconsin. Uh, but either way, that's even probably more detached from actual Miami values and what the fans wanted themselves. Uh, and um, I do wonder how long that would have lasted if the ownership didn't sell, you know, a few years later. But that was one of the first orders of business when Derek Jeter and Bruce Sherman and their group took over is switching up the color schemes, actually asking their fans. They went through this process uh, called Dimilo, where they actually asked fans to give specific reasons why they wanted to see color scheme changes, um, getting a lot of input uh, and ultimately arriving at a solution where the new colors uh, which are red and caliente red, midnight black, marlin blue, and slate gray. I believe those are the four now, but actually like finding some significance in those colors and actually having a reason for the font they chose for um, the combinations they chose. And I, I think even now it's not a unanimous approval for the rebrand that they did, but that just seemed to be maybe like a world of difference into what they came up with. The fact that they actually got input from the community about it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Man, so much goes into a rebrand like that and, and logos and there's so many opinions and there's so much passion wrapped up in it. You know, there's like the, do we go to back to fl the black and teal? Do we do something totally new? Do we like try to honor our history somehow? There's so many opinions and I don't envy those designers who have to make those calls. Right. I mean, in the Marlins case, they're still catching some flack for not incorporating enough teal because teal was that distinctive color that they're that was like the look of the 90s that like that and the Charlotte Hornets and like a couple other just iconic looks from the 90s. I just I, I, I personally love, although they I know they can be a little bit divisive for people. Some of them think it's kind of tacky or dated. Yeah, there's there's still um, some occasions during the season where they do throwback nights and they've done some teal inspired uh, remixes since then that have been very popular. Uh, of course, the Marlins did win one champion. They won two championships yeah. uh, during the Florida days, but it was really in the 97 team. That was the team that had that leaned into the teal more than any other. Mm -hmm. And uh, that particular team is the one that really changed baseball forever in Miami, the fact that they won championships so early in their existence. Yeah. And so there's still, even when you get the rebrand right, or you feel you get it right, there's always going to be uh, voiced opinions about what you could do differently, what you still need to do. Uh, and I mean, for the moment, some of that conversation has quieted down. Something that had been really expected at this point, the fact that the season upcoming in 2021 won't be quite as long as what we're used to uh, in minor league baseball, where, I mean, traditionally for these, all these full season affiliates, it's been 140 games per season. And maybe they get all those dates in this year, but the start date is going to be delayed with all the continued decisions that need to be made about the pandemic and about vaccinations and about how to, get in-person attendance and gate revenue back to where it used to be that the start date for all minor league levels below AAA is probably going to be in May um, at the earliest, uh, potentially Memorial Day or a little bit after that. Um, in some ways, a bummer that you have to wait longer for actual baseball games. But I mean, just from my casual research, uh, it does seem that April in Beloit is could be difficult for players to go through with all the cold and potentially by pushing it back later into the calendar year that um, it'll be a more comfortable environment for players to play in and potentially for fans to attend. Uh, is, is that something that actually jives with the reality that some of those April nights um, aren't going to be missed quite as much as days yeah. later in the season? No, yeah, it's cold. It is cold, and, and it, those April nights can be cold. I, I recommend stocking up on lots of River Rockers sweatshirts and jackets uh, if you get the chance because, yeah, it's it's brutal. So pushing – that is one definitely one one benefit of the later starts for sure. It's going to be a lot, 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 lot warmer. Yeah. Uh, potentially shifting dates. Uh, I mean, this is all still very preliminary, but based on Baseball America reporting, they could shift it from May into – early October uh, instead of what is traditionally early April to early September. And uh, I guess the decision they're also making is no playoff games, which I, I guess was 
was a big bright spot from the 2019 minor league season with the Marlins. Their Midwest League affiliate in 2019 was the Clinton Lumber Kings. And after the draft, um, the Marlins did a really good job in that draft. Uh, a lot of the college players they selected went straight to the Midwest League and the team caught fire. It made the postseason and I believe they made it all the way into the actual like championship series for the Midwest league. And I, that was a bright spot during a year where the major league team lost 105 games, being <laughs> able to actually in September when the Marlins were ready out of the race, being able to follow that playoff run. And that seems to be a casualty of the season where they'll have the regular season running, hopefully through late September, early October, but it doesn't sound like they'll actually have a playoff environment to follow. So, I mean, it's a trade-off in order to just have baseball at all and to have get those players as many reps as possible uh, to make sure that to make up for a year where so many players didn't really get much development time whatsoever. Uh, I don't think we've mentioned it in this conversation, but I know that even though born and raised in Beloit, uh, you are not based in Beloit anymore, uh, out of town, uh, following the team uh, in much the same situation that I am with the Marlins following streaming streaming games and following them that way uh i'm, I'm curious what your experience is being able to uh, as someone myself that i keep track of marlins affiliates using milb tv and streaming games that way and one of the frustrations i had with the midwest league last year and with the marlins affiliate is it was only a small handful of games over the course of the season that were available to be streamed uh, in your experience in Beloit, uh, do you know what kind of setup they have in terms of actually broadcasting games on TV? Or are there any particular uh, road cities that you think have been able to do that? Because whether, I guess in my cases, I'm a little unique in that I'm using these primarily to actually scout and evaluate the players themselves. But even for entertainment purposes, that's going to be so big to grow the game for people outside of Beloit. Um what can you are what can you tell us about the setup that they've had in past seasons? Uh, oh, I mean, hopefully across all of minor league baseball, that's going to be a priority to change moving forward now that they have MLB's cooperation. Uh, but what do you know about what the setup has been in recent years on the TV it's, side? It's a it's a great question. Uh, unfortunately, it's going to be a really short answer because I, I truly don't know too much about that aspect. My relationship with the team has always been live, and I just, right. quite frankly, have never uh, dove into really understanding or, or or searching for ways to to watch them online. It's just uh, for 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 better or worse, my baseball viewing is on TV is always for the majors, and it's never never been for minor leagues. So. That's that's pretty much uh, all I have right. for that one. Right. I've been optimistic that um, part of this restructuring, the fact that Major League Baseball is taking a more direct step and the fact that uh, for all the issues and complaints that people have about the league and some of the choices they've made, they have been pretty um, incredible when it comes to uh, the quality of the streams. So you've been able to provide for Major League games and even for minor league games in the past. And now, now the fact that they have a more direct financial interest in these teams, maybe they, they build out that aspect of the broadcast a little bit more uh, in order for us to follow them as closely as possible. Uh, one thing I wanted to circle back to when it comes to the names and the rebranding is that even though uh, you've really developed this river rockers idea, pretty detailed. Um, if it did come to a situation where, ownership is has a lot of conviction in these finalists that they came up with the cheese balls moo polka pike sky carp supper clubbers is there any one of that group that you find more bearable than the others that you uh understanding that you'll be supporting the team regardless no matter what choice they make when yeah. it comes to this situation uh which of those five is the, the least of yeah the, so the best I, of those I, evils? yeah i can break that down um the so there's five the the two that I find to be personally again I'm speaking just for myself and no one else um, the two that I find to be personally the most offensive are the cheese balls and the moo uh, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna break something on this on this podcast we heard from a credible source that those names are not in contention so that is not a confirmation uh, but it's it's a it's a source that we found credible 
who, who reported that to us. So that leaves the Polka Pike Sky Carp and Supper Clubbers. And uh, I would say, I think the Sky Carp probably to me has the most uh, regional and it's kind of the most unique. Uh, there are a lot of geese on the Rock River, which is it's, it's Sky Carp is a, is a nickname for a geese, based Canadian goose. And there are a lot of those on the Rock River. Unfortunately, they're kind of known for defecating all over the place. And it's a real problem in Beloit. So uh, that, that, uh, that is cause for concern. And again, when you have a name that has Sky Carp, it so closely resembles the word crap. I feel like that's a problem. Uh, supper Clubbers. You know, I kind of like it, but it's like Beloit has a problem or excuse me, baseball a little bit has a problem with attracting young you know, minority fans. And when you have a team that's in honor of a, you know, supper club where older white demographics tend to hang out, I don't know if that necessarily resonates uh, all that well, but don't get me wrong. I love supper clubs, but uh yeah, so I don't know. I'd say uh, it's kind of a tie between Sky Carp, Polka Pike, and Supper Clubbers for me. I'd say those are my top three, and yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Right. Uh, it could be – all this could be a diversion. The, the fact that uh, Marlins fans went through this actually pretty recently with the Wichita, where, of course, Marlins had an affiliate in New Orleans for about 11 years that – Used to be the New Orleans Zyphers. They rebranded to the New Orleans Baby Cakes. Yeah, uh, not familiar, was, and it didn't it didn't go too well. Nope, nope. Within a couple of years after the rebrands, they picked up the team and they moved to Wichita. Uh, I mean, right. part of that, a lot of that was tied to the facilities. Uh, they did not for a AAA team, especially the facilities in New Orleans just were not adequate, and so they were able to actually get public funding on a new stadium in Wichita to build a new team. They had this. Uh, process in, in which they they the initial phase was that they got um public feedback on suggested names they said reportedly they got upwards of 600 names that they took seriously submissions from wichita as to what to rename the team but um instead of acknowledging which of those submissions were like among the finalists what they did is they did a rollout every two weeks um during the fall preceding the rebrands where they showed uh, one of the potential nicknames along with a logo of that nickname. And uh, then they went silent. Two weeks later, they came out with a new logo and a, a new suggested nickname and then went silent. Overall, they came up with six finalists and um, all, all the six finalists that had some sort of like regional significance. But then uh, as we got later into the winter and they finally did the big reveal, they landed on Wichita Wind Surge, which was not at all any of the names that they'd been teasing throughout the whole process. So they, they teased the names. And I think even when they did those finalists and even when they were teasing them, it, they gave a whole backstory as to what the name would be referring to. But then they, uh, they went in a different direction, the, the name that they came up with. And in their case, they collaborated with a professional. It wasn't a full brand as um, I know that they're doing in Beloit. It was with an individual, Todd Random, who has a long history yeah. when it comes to uh, logo design and rebranding. Uh, but it was the same sort of thing, yeah, where he was uh, not based in the town itself. You know, he did his best to come up with a name and a design that reflected the community. But the reception was probably lukewarm at best uh, in terms of what the uh, final decision was. But just throwing that out there, I'm sure it's crossed your mind that maybe these finalists yeah. aren't real finalists at all. And maybe it's just something to stir the pot we, while we wait. Our team has considered every possible scenario at this point. It's kept, it's kept us up at night. Uh, there's so many ways that they could go. We truly don't know. And unfortunately we, we used to have, we used to be in somewhat periodic conversation uh, with the, with the owners during the initial phase of this, when we were doing our save the Beloit snappers campaign. And I uh, had a really great hour long conversation with, with Quinn Studer and, and we sent him some presentations and he responded. And um, but since then we've gone, kind of dark, unfortunately. I'd, I'd love to get communication back going with the organization uh, because, yeah, I, I would love to know what what potentially is in store. I wish I had 
more insightful things to say, but I, I truly don't know. Are they going to go with these, one of these five they mentioned? Are they seriously considering our proposal? Are they going to go with the Boyd Snappers? Is there a new new name coming up down the pike? Really no idea, but it's going to be very, these next couple of months are going to be very, very interesting. Yeah. For the time being, uh, I can tell you that the general Marlins fan is pretty satisfied with the fact that all their minor league team nicknames have a, a, a fishy amphibious animal uh, relationship that, you know, there's yep. a vague connection when it comes to from the bottom yeah. up the Jupiter hammerheads, the Beloit snappers, Pensacola, yeah. Wahoos, and uh, now the Jacksonville jumbo shrimp who were uh, the, the jumbo shrimp and the hammerheads have been part, affiliated with the organization for a while now, but both, Pensacola and Beloit are new. Uh, and I guess just to be clear, in, in case we haven't emphasized this already, Quint Studer uh, owns Pensacola as well. And I, I believe um, it's it's not much of a guess to, to conclude that it's not a coincidence that Pensacola and Beloit both ended up in the same organization um, that, mm-hmm. that potentially that was intentional in order to um, just – I think that's easiest for everybody involved. The fact that the Marlins uh, know exactly who they're partnering with and what to expect from their affiliate. Yeah. The fact, and the fact that just this past year, uh, even we didn't have a minor league season yet. I know that uh, minor league teams were still busy doing creative things. And that's especially true for Pensacola, which was named by baseball America as the minor league organization of the year for 2020 with some of the unique events and philanthropy that they did during this year that was taken off. So it's uh, on both accounts, both Beloit and Pensacola. It's those are really good additions uh, for where the Marlins are hoping to go yeah. with their player development. Uh, we've referred to the petition that you have going save snappy that as of this recording over 3,500 signatures out of a 5,000 signature goal. So I, I hope this pod helps you get towards the finish line when it comes to that, even just a little bit for, especially for people that had no opinion on this subject uh, before yeah. listening, uh, I'm sure you're, this will help sway them just a little bit. It's it's also a great place to go for your listeners. They don't even have to sign the petition, but you can just go there and read all the updates because we post all our periodic updates, uh, maybe every couple days or so. So it's a place you can go and read everything you want to know about the Bullet Rivers Rocker, River Rockers movement and more. Just go to Save Snappy Petition on Change.org and then uh, select the Updates tab, and boom, it's all there for you. Perfect. Yeah, we'll have that link, of course, in the podcast description. Uh, if you're seeing this on our article at fishtraps.com, it'll be there as well. Uh, any place else that you want people to follow you for, for updates, uh, either for the rest of this rebranding process or during the season, what, what's the best place for people to follow along? The best place is our Facebook and Twitter, uh, which you can follow at Beloit Rockers for both. And we have, a, I think we have a really, really fun social presence. We're constantly pumping out uh, concept uniforms to consider, as you, as you alluded to earlier. Uh, we have, uh, in, we're getting endorsements from community leaders and um, we are getting, uh, we post fun merchandise uh, ideas and things to consider. We're constantly engaging with uh, fellow you know, bloggers such as yourself, such as others. Um, and it's just, it's just, it's a real fun feed. So very interactive. And we, 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 we communicate a lot with, with, uh, with our supporters. Yeah. Pretty consistent with memes as well. Editing. Yeah. yeah man, got, <laughs> whatever. We got, the situation. we got memes, we got videos, alternate logos. We have, it's a, uh, it's a lot and we're, we're having a good time with it. And uh, we, we hope the ownership is, uh, is taking notice of this movement we got building and we hope they, we hope they give us a fair shot. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I can't overstate like how important this affiliation is. Um, the fact that being at the high A level is traditionally a level in minor league baseball where every single prospect goes there on their way to the majors. Everybody from, uh, yeah. I mean, famously in recent years, Juan Soto played about two games at high A before he was promoted directly to the majors. But uh, in most cases, the Marlins, for example, in 2019, uh, their top draft pick, J.J. Bladé, they made the bold decision to start him, to start his professional career at the high A level. Uh, but even that was like a pretty big anomaly where in, in most cases they, they start slightly under that and then work their way up to high A before being seriously considered for a major league promotion. 
everybody is going to be passing through that. And uh, I mean, Can't wait. This, is, this is something we've been speculating about a lot on fish drives. Now that it's been so long without minor league baseball, where exactly these players are going to be uh, deployed. And uh, I mean, the best that we could come up with um, this from my friend, Daniel DeVivo, who hosts his own Marlins related podcast, swimming upstream. Uh, he thinks a, a number of the draft picks from 2020 are going to end up in Beloit for most of the 2021 season. Kyle Nicholas, Zach McCambly, Jake Eater. These are all starting pitchers that uh, could be really fast movers through the organization after pitching in college. And uh, you'll learn pretty quickly with the Marlins that at this point in their history, they are stacked when it comes to outfielders at every level of the organization. They have outfielders with incredible tools. Um, and especially at Beloit, we think a lot of their power hitters are going to go there. Peyton Burdick, um, who had an incredible 2019 season, uh, uh, Connor Scott, who was a former first round pick in 2018, Cameron Meisner, uh, also from the 2019 draft. And uh, Griffin Conine is a guy that we're very excited about. He's, he is the son of Jeff Conine, yeah, Mr. Yeah, Marlin. I was about to say, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, he was drafted originally by the Blue Jays, but just this past summer, the Marlins kind of went out of their way to trade for him. And he's someone that he was in the Midwest League in 2019. He was right up there among the home run leaders in the league, but he still has some holes in his game that they'll want to work out and see exactly where he goes. So th those are some of the guys that – I know Daniel is projecting to potentially either start there or at least spend the majority of their season in Beloit. And I mean, it's at a point where not just now where the Marlins have one of the better farm systems in baseball, but that's going to be priority for uh, in perpetuity because being knowing that there are some sort of budget constrictions at the highest level, there's always going to be a limited number of free agents that they can bring in that they're relying so much on homegrown right. players to actually rise all the way up through their system and become core players at the major league level. So if, if you want to see them first, in most cases, you'll want to go down to Beloit yourself and actually get a front row seat with that continued question, as I, we said earlier, about how many of their games are actually going to be available to watch on TV, um, that to get the best look at them, might as well show up to ABC Supply Stadium and uh, – get that view perspective of it. Yeah, it's going to be an awesome experience. And, and hopefully if, if the team goes forward with our idea, it's going to be a rock concert atmosphere while you're there. There's going to be in-game DJs. There's going to be uh, a, a rock band, Snappy's rock band jamming in right field. And when there's home runs, they're going to be walking around signing autographs for the kids. It's going to be, we just want it to be just an absolutely fun atmosphere. And, and, and you, you rattling off all those players that they have coming up it's so exciting to think about because I, I, I've, I've heard, you know, firsthand or, or, or I've read about, I should say uh, how incredible the Marlins farm system is. So the, um, the high degree of talent that the fans are going to see combine that with an incredible in-game experience, man, that could be uh, awesome for both ownership and fans. Yeah. Uh, best case scenario, we might be four months away from that starting. Maybe it's a little bit more than that. Maybe it's a year away. Uh, I mean, some of this being out of our hands with COVID-19. I know. I but, know. That's uh, the big buzzkill. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, all, it's all you so, can do. All the, you can the, do. The, the waiting is the hardest part is, uh, is, as Tom Petty said, and uh, just the uncertainty. It's just so unfortunate. Uh, I, I, I hate that piece of it. Yeah. But whenever we get through this, Beloit seems totally prepared to really knock it out yeah, of the park and put on a great we're, experience. We're, we're, we're ready to, to, to rock and roll to use a very, very corny, shameless plug there. So everybody listening, make sure to sign the petition, the save snappy petition and just incredible insight here from Ben Whitkins about where the team has been, where it is now, where it's going. And yeah, we're just getting anxious to see it all starting up. I, I know you've been busy with spreading the word about this movement, this resistance, and uh, <laughs> but but all it's all in good fun, and uh, that's kind of what what drew me to it in the first place. Is that uh, it? Yeah, it definitely is, and and that's I'm glad you brought that up because that's like a big misconception. I, I want to just briefly touch on that. We are not at odds with the Boyd Snappers organization, nor are we at odds with Quinn Suter. In fact, we're extraordinarily appreciative of him, and. Uh, I just, I can't say that enough. I say that in every interview. I say that every chance I get 
Mr. Studer, if you're listening, thank you on behalf of the entire Beloit community for saving baseball in Beloit, because without you, it'd be gone. And uh, we will never forget that. The only thing we're trying to do is help this team basically just stick the landing. We think we have a better proposal that is receiving 100% support from the community. It has regional significance. It has merchandise opportunities. It is uh it could be a killer idea. Very unique to minor league baseball. There's not too many rock bands in minor league baseball that I know of. So let's, let's make this happen and let's have just an awesome, awesome next 10 years in, in Beloit. Yeah. Ready to rock out as, as soon as, absolutely uh, as soon as conditions allow for it. This is Eli Sussman with Ben Witkins. Check out fishstripes.com, specifically our minor league coverage, fishstripes.com slash prospects. And people that follow us on Twitter, you know, always tweeting out um, updates on these prospects, highlights whenever I can find them. So at fishstripes on, on Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram, and on YouTube, we're going to be trying to use a lot more YouTube this year than ever before as well. So subscribe to us over there and turn on notifications. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, see you next time. Go fish. <laughs>